component of uh, family, um, but a lot of times uh, what should be obvious kind of becomes forced, right? We have to consciously remind ourselves of unity, um, even in our own families, let alone when we come together once a week, you know, from all different um, walks of life and, and jobs and uh, different things that are occupying our weeks. We come together this morning and we're forced to be in the same proximity of one another, uh, but it doesn't always feel like family. It doesn't always feel like we're in unity, uh, that we are one. Um, so this morning we really want to take some time just to kind of hammer that point home uh, that we are one, all right? So the theme is unity in the body of Christ. And there's several passages in Scripture that we could look to uh, that talk about unity, uh, but the one I want to talk about this morning is found in John 17, uh, 14 through 23. This is Jesus speaking, so as you can imagine, there's a lot packed into a, a, a little portion of paper there. <laughs> uh, those red letters have a lot of meaning. Um, but it says this, Jesus speaking, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. For they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they may themselves also be sanctified in the truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. <laughs> so a lot, uh, you know, if we don't pick it apart, a lot, lot flowing there. It can be difficult to, to pick out all the different parts. Um, but look at verse 15 here. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, why did he not remove us from the world? Okay. He says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Wouldn't it have been so much easier if he just took us out of the world? <laughs> right? Wouldn't it be great if there was there's some way that, you know, every time someone came up and gave their lives to the Lord, that God would just zap them right then and there, and as soon as they're clean, you know, they go to the Father, bask in his glory, and, and they don't haven't have another chance to slip up, and no more misery, and you know, no more struggle, no more changing diapers, you know, whatever it is that, you know, you are, you know, that, that's bogging you down, but that God would just remove us from that difficult situation, remove us from those difficult people, <laughs> remove us from this life, and just fast forward directly to the good stuff, right, to eternity. Um, and a lot of times we, we might kind of wonder, you know, God, wh why am I here? Why did you save me and then leave me and sometimes it even feels like you left me alone <laughs> what is my purpose right 
the reason that he didn't just save you, zap you, and fast forward and take you directly to eternity <clears throat> is because he has a job for you to do here. Corporately, he has a job for us to do here. All right? And we'll see that later on in this passage as he makes that really, really clear. We see in verse 18, <clears throat> he says, As you sent me into the world, <laughs> I have also sent them into the world. And so we see exactly why Jesus didn't pluck us off the earth. God, the Father, sent Jesus to the earth to start this ministry. And then Jesus left that ministry to us. Okay? Big shoes to fill. <laughs> but Jesus could have come the, his first coming <clears throat> and completed the mission, right? He's God. He certainly would be a, a better ambassador for the Father than we ever could be. So why didn't he just come and do it all? Why did he train his disciples and then leave them when they were still quite unqualified? <laughs> Why did he send his Holy Spirit to help us complete the ministry, but he didn't just stay and do it himself? Because he wants us to be one with him. As he is, he is calling us to be. He modeled it. He gave the instruction. He uh, did everything to empower us to be able to be like him. But as Christ was sent as a missionary from heaven to earth, he then commissioned us to be his hands and feet to the rest of the world. So it's a, a huge task, but it's part and parcel of the Christian faith. We can't call ourselves a Christian, which means little Christ or Christ-like, and not be like him, which is to be missional, to reach out to those around us. <clears throat> Sometimes we think, oh, man, that's, that's too much to ask. You know, I'm, I'm you know, <laughs> me personally, I'm an introvert, or, you know, my personality uh, is this or that, or, you know, I'm just not, maybe, I'm not just good at, you know, getting out and sharing my faith, or, you know, don't even think about, you know, sending me to Africa or Asia or the Middle East or somewhere where culture is different and language is different and, that's just, you know, that would be way, way, way too uncomfortable. But think about the fact that <laughs> Jesus was sent from heaven to earth. He, he, he changed locations. He changed um, appearance. He changed everything about, about him to be able to relate to us. God in heaven, eternity past. Perfection never had a single inconvenience <laughs> and he laid perfection aside so that he could take on the, the body of a man and relate to us and be able to share with us who he is and how he wants to draw us into him for the first time in God's life he had to worry about you know sanitary you know measures how to keep himself clean you know he burped and, and farted and stunk and sweat you know, for the first time, completely new experiences for him that were completely out of <laughs> what he was used to, what he was comfortable with. But he came to be a man, and then he died as one of us. There isn't a single emotion, not a single experience that we can have that God hasn't had 
in flesh. <laughs> He's totally, totally relatable to us. And in that, he dies for us and then says, come, take up your cross and follow me. I want you to do this with me. All right? And a lot of times we think of, of the cross as something that Jesus did so that we didn't have to, but he actually invites us in to his suffering, <laughs> invites us in to the ministry. All right? <clears throat> in verse 20, we see this task that he has commissioned us to in motion. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who also believe in me through their word. So Jesus is looking into the future and he's saying, I've come and I've shared this with you, the few, but I also came for those who are going to believe through you in the future. And then in Revelation, we see the, you know, the culmination of that. People of every tribe, tribe, nation, and tongue standing before the Father. And it's because of our word, because of our testimony. But that's only made possible through Christ's sacrifice and him grafting us in to him. That we can be one in him as he is one in the Father. Verse 21, uh, what is this unity for? I mean, we okay, so we prioritize unity. We're going to come in here and we're going to act as unified as possible. You know, it's just unity for the sake of unity. But actually we see in this passage, verse 21, that unity has a purpose. Verse 21 says that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. There's a purpose for this unity. They will know that you are Christians by your love, right? Your unity, how you treat one another. If we can't get along in here, why on earth would anyone else want to be a part of our disunity, you know? If you've ever been, you know, if you grew up in a broken family, you might have looked at those families that seemed perfect and kind of wished you had that. Oh, I wish I had a father like that. Or I wish I had a mom like that. Or I wish I had a brother like that. Or, you know, whatever. But you, you see it and you're like, oh, man, that's something that I want. Right? But have you ever been in a situation <laughs> where you're from a good family and you look at someone's brokenness and their disunity and you're like, man, I wish I could be a part of that. You know? Never. You're always, <laughs> you're looking at the unity. And you're like, oh, that is so awesome. You're not looking at, you know, TV or your own friends or whatever, but a situation where the family is broken, you know, children are, are, are being hurt and, and you know, think the family's just breaking apart. That's not something that you want to be a part of, right? God gave us this unity so that others would long for what we have. That they would see with their own eyes that there is love there, that God is real that Jesus was sent, that God loves us. And it's not this theological position. It's not this philosophical ideal. It's real. It's tangible. It's applicable. It's something that I can walk into and have around me on a daily basis. We are God's hands and feet. <laughs> we are showing what his love looks like because people don't always feel that they can relate to this idea of God. We have to show them what it looks like in the day-to-day. -day. So it's oneness for a purpose, so that the world would believe. And then finally, verse 23, again, 
unity for what purpose? Jesus says, I in them and you in me, that, the, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world would know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. So again, twice in this passage, he's talking about unity and the confusing I and you and you and me and us and him and you know, all that is for a specific purpose of sending us out to be lights in the darkness so that the world would know God sent Christ and that God loves us. So as we come together this morning and we're talking about unity, it can't just be unity for unity's sake. It has to be the starting point, the launching point of love in action. That Sundays are a time when we can practice <laughs> that love in this safe environment where it's okay to, to mess up and, and we have the freedom to fail here, but we have to perfect that unity here so that when we go out into the world, they see it in our day-to-day -day life that they hear it in, in our voice, that they see it in our actions, they see it in how we interact with one another, and they see that the love of God is real, that Christ died, and that they want to be a part of that. All right? and we can't have this attractional model where we build big buildings and put up flashy signs and have you know things to entertain people and hope that people come and check us out. <laughs> the whole purpose of the gospel the whole model that Jesus gave is being sent out. God didn't wait in heaven for us to look at that and be like, ooh, we want to be a part of that. He came to us, said, this is truth. This is what I have in store for you. This is what I want to do in you and through you. Come be a part of this. It's an invitation. He sent the invitation out. <laughs> he didn't just plant the wedding supper and hope that people showed up. So the whole purpose of, of this unity must be a launching point into the world. That no matter what your job, no matter what your vocation, no matter what your education, no matter what your position, no matter uh, what your personality, no matter who you, you run in, in circles with, that your life would be a mission. <laughs> that it would be a launching ground to reach out to others and invite them in to this supper that, that God has called us to. So today... We're going to take communion a little bit later, and communion, communion is a, a great symbol of what this unity looks like. But I want to give a little bit of, of insight to exactly what communion is, all right, and, and how important it is, and how seriously we need to take it. We know from Ephesians 5.23 that Christ is the head of the church, right? We are the body, he is the head. In other words, he's in charge, not us, right? And then we go to uh, the, the popular verse in Scripture um, regarding communion, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verse 24. It says, And after he gave, had given thanks, he broke the bread, saying, This is my body, which is broken for you. Right? But a lot of times when we see that word or hear that word broken, we kind of think of you know, maybe the, the physical breaking or, or torture or, you know, uh, pain that Jesus went through on the cross. But that's actually not what the word broken there means. Uh, that would be in the Greek, suntribo, which is, is not the word uh, that's used there. In fact, this passage can't be talking about God's, Jesus' physical body being broken because John 19.36 19, specifically says, 
that Jesus' body wasn't broken in order to uh, fulfill the scriptures that not a bone of his body would be broken. So what is communion? What is the breaking of the bread symbolic of then? And the word there, broken, means to parcel out or to share. And it's always used of bread because you would break bread and then you would pass it out, right? Think of the, the feeding of the 5,000 with the loaves of bread and the fishes, right? It was shared. It was spread to all. It started as one little basket and ended up as 12 extras after everyone had been filled, right? So this breaking of the bread isn't to remember what he did on the cross. It's actually to remember the ministry of his life and the fact that now we're taking part of it. Christ was the complete fulfillment, the embodiment of perfect ministry. But not a single one of us can do that. He called us to do it corporately. You have a little piece of Christ in you. You have a little piece of Christ in you. You have a specific task and role and calling of God on your life. You have a specific task and role and calling on your life. And none of us can complete that task alone. We need each other. We are the body, the body of Christ. And so it's in our unity that we were able to function as a whole, that we are able to complete the task that Jesus commissioned us to do. We each have our little piece of bread, but we come from the loaf as a whole. And together, we are able to do what Christ commanded us to do. Alone, we cannot. So the unity is for a purpose, but it's also for our completion, for our benefit, so that we are able to function in the role that God has called us uh, to function in. <clears throat> so the bread is literally Christ's body, or figuratively, I should say, Christ's body. The church, the embodiment of his ministry on earth. We are one with each other and one with the head, but we are many parts and each have different roles, hence the bread was broken or parceled out. Okay. The next is, of course, the cup. 1 Corinthians 11.25 says, In the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. All right. So the Christ's blood is what qualifies us. It's what enables us to take part of his body. Without the blood... None of us could be part of his body, right? It's the cross that qualifies any of us to be in the family of God. Without that, there's nothing else that we can do, right? <clears throat> because we cannot do spiritual ministry via the flesh. We have to have God's spirit in us first before we can go out. In fact, even after the disciples uh, in John 20, 22, I believe, Jesus, after he's resurrected, he goes to his disciples and he breathes on them, it says, and they received the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That was the first time in history that anyone had become a Christian. <laughs> they were Jews before, but at the moment Christ breathed on them, they became new men, new creation, right? Their old self died. The Spirit of God then came and resided in them. Even after that point, you remember Jesus said, and before he ascended, do not leave Jerusalem until the helper has come. 
In other words, do not try to do ministry in your own power. Wait for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to come. You've got to remember that even Jesus, the Son of God, God himself modeled this for us. Jesus himself did not begin his ministry until he was baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon him, right? So we have to, have to, have to be empowered by God. We cannot do spiritual ministry via the flesh. So Christ invites us into this. He modeled it. He set forth, you know, how to do it. All we have to do is be empowered by him and then walk out the ministry that he began. So as we take communion today, keeping in mind the unity, we need to be one as a church body, but also one with Christ. And so this morning I'm going to ask us to do communion in a specific order. We're going to do the cup first and then move on to the bread, all right? Because drinking the cup is saying yes to what Christ has done for us. It's saying yes to his invitation to be a part of his body. It's saying yes to the invitation to be a part of his eternal kingdom. It's saying yes to being adopted as his sons and daughters, right? Eating the bread, however, is saying yes to Christ's command to then go out and invite everyone else. So this is why in Corinthians, Paul is really specific, and he says, don't just eat and drink without knowing what you're doing. <laughs> Test and weigh yourself. Know your heart. Don't take this lightly. You're saying yes to Christ, that you will come to the banquet table, but then when you eat the bread, you're saying yes to Christ, that I will go out and invite everyone else to be at that, that banquet table as well. You're saying, yes, I receive your blood, your sacrifice, Christ. And then, yes, I receive that portion, that calling, that part of the body, that part of your ministry that you are calling me to, and I'm going to go out and complete it. So it's yes to two completely different things. <laughs> and the question is, are we ready to say yes to that? Amen. Are we ready to say yes to Christ? I accept your forgiveness. I accept your sacrifice. But then are we ready to say yes to one another and yes to him in moving forward in unity in inviting every other man, woman, and child on the face of the earth to the exact same experience and love and forgiveness and eternity that we have been invited to? The first is a free gift. The second will cost you everything. Are we ready to move forward in unity? Father, I just pray that as uh, this morning we move forward, God, that it would be about you and not about us, Father, about what you have done for us, that that would empower us um, and give us hope and courage to move forward in what you've called us to do, God. But it would be together that we would not be lone wolves in Christianity, Father, but we would recognize that we are a part of a body and a finger cannot operate without the hand and the arm and the body and the brain. God, we cannot do this alone. We need each other. And together we complement and make whole the calling and the ministry that you have called your church globally to do, Father. Let us rise up and take our place in the body, be one with each other and one with you, and move forward in power and boldness, Father. In Jesus' name we pray.
So John 12, 26, actually 23 through 26 says, Jesus replied, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into so his glory. I tell you the truth, the unless a kernel of wheat is saying, planted in the soil and dies, it remains I alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me, because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. And when I looked that up in the Amplified Version, I want to read that to you. Jesus answered them, The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified and exalted. I assure you most solemnly as I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just one grain. It never becomes more but lies by itself alone. But if it dies, it produces many others and yields a rich harvest. Anyone who loves his life loses it, but anyone who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. Meaning whoever has no love for, no concern for, no regard for his life here on earth, but despises it, preserves his life forever and ever. If anyone serves me, he must continue to follow me. Meaning cleave steadfastly to me, conform wholly to my example in living, and if need be, in dying. And wherever I am, there will be my servant. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So we have this demonstration for you. This is a long rope. From the blue end to the end of where he stands represents heaven and eternity. The blue side represents your life here on earth. So many of us stress about of the life. We're so worried about getting into heaven and our life in eternity, and we don't worry about this part. Sometimes we make excuses and we say, okay, I'm here on earth, and when I get to this point and when this happens, but I'm right here. But when I get right here, then I'll do this for the Lord. You only have this short amount of time here on earth. John says, if anyone serves me, there I will be also. And that's the format for unity. We need to serve one another now while we have the time here on earth to do so. I've been blessed to share what we call the salvation message, which basically... <coughs> Many churches know as the altar call, but as I'm praying, what the Lord's been showing me is maybe a little bit different, so I'll just warn you in advance. Number one, has anybody ever been to Chicago years ago? Did you ever hear the ride, The Wild Mouse? About three people know what that is. That was an old roller coaster that would take 90 degree angles. There's no way that anybody, insurance company, covered it anymore. It was cool stuff back then. 
That park was knocked down Riverview in 1963, so that tells you how old it is. So, so bear with me as we take some hard 90 degrees. Trust me, well, somewhat. Trust the Lord that we're going to get to the end result of what I believe he wants us to. So this is going to be totally different. This is going to be uncomfortable. Normally, we'll walk through and ask people who would like to accept the Lord as their Savior. But I'm going to do something a little different. How many people here are not Christians? Raise your hand. Are not. Okay, thank you. I appreciate the courage on that. Now, when I say that, that is absolutely not the way to challenge people coming in church because it makes them uncomfortable. Oh, everybody's looking at me. I'm uncomfortable. For those who raise their hand, I bless you for your courage to speak. Here what, here's what it is. Those who are a little uncomfortable raising their hand. I just want you to know that that discomfort you're feeling there of raising your hand in front of other people, okay, one day you're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not going to be, hey, what would you do all your life? Were you a good guy? Yes, our acts, our works will be judged by the Lord and there will be blessings. But the reality is, it says in Isaiah, our best is like filthy rags. And that word filthy rags, look it up. It's more than just rags that we're cleaning the floor. Okay? It was the most unclean type of rag people can imagine, the Jewish people could imagine. One day you're going to stand before the Lord. And it's going to be a lot more uncomfortable because it's not going to be standing before a bunch of other people who are struggling trying to become more Christ-like. You're going to be standing before a holy God. So I challenge that if you haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, to understand that our best is filthy rags in comparison. So I challenge you as I continue with the rest of what I'm going to share here, to rest in that and hear that. And if it's a time that you feel it's time for me to take my righteous works, which are filthy rags, and throw them to the side and say, Lord, I've got nothing. I've got nothing except you. It took me a long time to finally bend my knee to the Lord because I wanted to get a little better. I wanted to fix this and fix that. Because for me, it was getting a little better because I was getting, I don't want God to have to reach down for me as low as some of the other people. Huge pride issues. Huge. I still have pride issues. Just hopefully not as huge, but the Lord's working on it. In this also, you stay on the track. Koinonia family multiplication is a theme that we have in this church. Koinonia, our togetherness, family. Multiplication, I'm going to talk to the people, everyone who didn't raise their hand, who are Christians. Okay. What are we multiplying? Are we something that the Lord would want to be multiplying? I'm challenging this, not only for you, but I'm challenging myself. I'm asking you to look at yourself. Because we're to come before the Lord to allow ourselves to be examined. Do we really want to be multiplying? 
what we're doing now. And this isn't for condemnation, but this soon, 20 or 30 years from now or 100 years from now, no one can look at me and say, Frank, you never said anything about this. You never challenged us. Okay? The challenge is here. You need to stop and look and say, what am I multiplying? I was up Mount Charleston looking to take time to prepare for this. Lord, how do you want me to do something with your message? And it was kind of different. The one thing that really stuck out to me, so I was looking at some trees, and I, it looked kind of like eucalyptus trees. I don't know if they were or not. But the wind would come, and I didn't even know that the wind was really coming because I was sitting in the car just kind of looking at the mountains. And all of a sudden, all the leaves would be, the whole tree was just flooded. It was kind of beautiful. Almost like a billion butterflies or something. Then all of a sudden it would stop. Do we sometimes come to church, get a word, get all responding, and then we leave? Are we living what we claim who we are? Do we really believe the Christian message? Do we really believe in the followers of Christ? And if this is uncomfortable for you, praise God. That it's time to be able to, that we need to say, okay, Lord, you know what? I haven't I've fallen short. Let me just drop it, Lord. Bless me. Change me. When we had with the junior and senior high this week, we talked a little bit, just part of it, and the Lord really put on my heart this thing was that, we're upset because all the things going on in the world. And you hear people say, well, you know, one day we may not be able to preach the gospel because the laws are changing in this world. How many does that upset to think that it could be outlawed for us to share the gospel? How many would that upset here if that happened in the United States? Hopefully all of you raise your hand, inside at least, okay? But the question I have, and I say this all humility, Look at your past week. Had that law been in place last Sunday, between last Sunday to this Sunday, would it have made a difference in what you did during the week? We can be upset that maybe one day we won't be able to spread the gospel, but is it going to really make a difference in how we're living our lives? In what we're living day to day. And again, I challenge you, not to rebuke, but it's to say, Lord, I need to come before you. Where am I at? I'm on the low, on the downhill side of that ride right now. I'm on the old, I'm over, I'm over 39. Hard to believe. Way over. But I'm on the downhill side, I'm reflecting. I'm going, Lord, you know what? The reality is what I want on my tombstone is what God's going to use me for the next 30 years if he blesses me to be around for 30 years. Not for the last 54. But I need to say, Lord, I need to change. I need to lay before you. And I need that heart change. I need to know that, I really, Lord, am I really so out for you? Or am I serving you with my mouth, but far away with my heart? Those are scary scriptures, but not as scary as we who are Christians when they stand before the Lord and say, here I am, Lord, I knew you. And he goes, I never knew you. 
Those are scary scriptures we don't really want to look at. But I'm begging you to look at them now before it's too late. This isn't some fire and brimstone thing. This is just truth. The other scripture that came up to me was one about where Jesus talked about John the Baptist. Said, would you go out there to hear, to see a reed or hear a reed blowing in the wind? Basically, he said, are you going out to see some guy who's just being bantered about by the world's opinion and thoughts? No, you went out to see an oak of righteousness. You went out to see an oak, somebody who was a true prophet, someone who stood and challenged you and spoke the truth. Before we enter into communion, it's in the Bible, it says, do not take this lightly. Do not take it lightly, for many have fallen asleep who took it lightly. Falling asleep wasn't, they got bored with me talking too long. I know that because I wasn't around back then, okay? But falling asleep was dead. Joshua shared about the unity and reaching out to the missions, okay? I personally don't see as that it is as, and I'm not saying the Lord hasn't called some people, but I don't see it quite as important to be out there picketing an abortion clinic as it is to take the time to love our neighbor and speak to them about the Lord and to change one heart at a time. Because you know what? If every one of us took the time to change one heart and shared and continued to be used by the Lord to change one heart, those abortion clinics would eventually close. Amen. But it's one at a time. Have we reached our neighbors? We're talking about a mission field. Yes, the Lord has praised God for us to reach overseas and such. Are we taking care of the mission field we're called to on a day-to-day -day basis? Does it make a difference that you can preach the gospel, or would it make a difference if you couldn't? Would there be any difference this coming week, whether that law is in place or not? And I challenge you to make certain that it does make a difference that you allow the Lord to convict you and show you, not for the sake of rebuke, not for the sake of somebody feeling bad about themselves, but for the sake of what the truth is. And for the sake of where we're walking, for the sake of where those people are walking. So one day a neighbor of yours doesn't look at you and say, why didn't you tell me? Well, I, thought, I thought you might make fun of me. I thought you'd look at me funny. There's some persecution. As we walk into communion, I ask you to examine your hearts. First, if you're not a Christian, you would look and say, you know what, my best is filthy rags compared to a holy God. And there are people here, you're looking and accepting the Lord for the first time today. There are people here who will talk with you. Come up to me and tell me, neither I will or I'll connect you up with someone here. Because it's not about you raising your hand right now, okay? It's about your heart change and your choice. So I'm not going to ask people to raise their hand on that. I'm going to say, if you say that, come to me and I will talk and I will connect you up with elders here. Bill, could you raise your hand, actually? Are you going to be here after or do you have to leave for work? Bill will be the perfect guy. If you look to accepting the Lord today, go talk to Bill Kerr. And if there's so many of you, he will find more to come to. So if you saw Bill. The rest of us, take the time to reflect before we take communion lightly. And if this is the day you don't take communion because you're like, Lord, I'm not certain. 
then take the time to wait. This Wednesday's prayer and fasting, if you're not certain, okay, this might be the time to wait. Say, you know what, Lord, I'm not clear on that. And this Wednesday's we prayer and fasting for the church. And I'll warn you in advance, I'm going to be the one leading it. Okay? <laughs> and not even my wife. But we're going to be taking the time to pray and fast for the church. But the first steps I'm telling you now to prepare for it, we're going to be looking at allowing ourselves to be cleansed by the Lord. Amen. That before we start praying for the rest of the world, we're going to ask the Lord to make sure we're cleansed. Amen. In the same way today. So I invite you to be here Wednesday. I want you to please take the time now before communion as they're going to be playing and introducing communion to take the time to be certain to plead before the Lord. And I believe the challenge you to make the recommitment to say, Lord, you and me, I need to make I need to make this put the spike in the ground that's going to change. And that'll be a good idea to take someone else who you're accountable to connect with an advocate to share and say, hey, I realize I haven't been doing that. Hold me accountable. Hold me as an advocate. Not accountable like you're my mommy, but an advocate is we're going to lock arms to walk together. Because all the stuff I'm challenging you on is not because I do it so well, but maybe I can share it a little more because I do it so poorly. So it's blatant and clear to me how poorly I just do it. As a small aside family business, because I'll handle the communion, Tuesday, 9 a.m., Montreal time, I don't know, it's seven or six years, so I'm going to figure that out. This Tuesday, 9 a.m., Montreal time, John Staberski is up there with his wife. They're looking to be able to go through the final step to allow his wife home. Long story, but we're asking for prayer. Okay. Asking for prayer. They're going before the council at there to sit, and the council will give them a yes, a no, or maybe late. So I'm asking for prayer. Talk to John just because he was at the airport yesterday. So we ask that. As a small aside also, Joshua's also doing his part to help increase the kingdom as well. As far as family goes, that are expecting twin baby twins. He's expecting blessings as the Lord has for him. So just to share that he is serious about helping with the family. Okay, so who's doing communion now? So my challenge is as Paulette is sharing, examine your hearts. The raising of the hand is not for here right now for me to see. It's for you before the Lord to make the commitment and find someone who you are close to make the commitment to them. Not to them, you do before the Lord, but let them know. Thank you. Well, good morning. Um, so today we're going to be taking, we're going to be participating in a family meal. So um, it's real important that you, you want